Hello, everybody. This is Munson Steed. And if there is anything, CEO to CEO is a real reality, giving you access to CEOs that actually talk to CEOs. When you think of Larry Ivory, you're thinking of a prominent CEO who has mastered the idea of what it takes to be able to motivate, to actually restore integrity to a community that is often underseen and unheard and have an association. If you don't know why it's important to be an association, hopefully you will know after this CEO to CEO, the importance of joining and supporting our community. Welcome, Mr. Ivy, how are you? Hey, fantastic, I am I am very happy to be on this show to have this conversation. Super, kind of describe your title and your leadership style, if you would, for all of those who are listening. Uh, my title is President CEO of the Illinois State Black Chamber of Commerce, and I also wear the hat as the chairman of the board of the National Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, but my style of management is, is really kind of, uh, you know, I believe in good people, and I put good people in good positions, and I let them do what they do well. And my job is, and I lead by consensus, you know, I'm not the you know, some people have this uh, a little different type of philosophy than me. Uh, when decisions are made in our organization, they're not made in a silo uh, by just Larry Ivory. We have trusted advisors and board members that uh, have a different degree of expertise uh, that I go to on a consistent basis. So even when I'm pretty confident about my decision, uh, I try to make sure that I get consensus with other people to see if making sure that we're on the right track. Uh, so my style of leadership is really kind of a, a collective, a, a team approach to getting things done. And I really want my people to understand, first of all, people want to know how much you care before they want to know how much you know. So, uh, you know, my people know I care about them when they have a problem, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching, I'm listening. I want them to be happy because if they're happy and they're uh, focused, then we're going to be more successful as an organization. Well, I mean, I'm glad you said that. What do you think when you're actually hiring executives for your team, what are the critical skills for those executives in the future? Uh, and how are they different than what you used to look for in the past? Well, you know, right now, you know, if a person is not involved in technology and social media, then that would be a very, uh, that's very, that's very different than we would have been five, six, seven years ago, quite frankly. And now when you're talking to people, if they don't have the strong uh, social media background in those areas, then I would be a little bit concerned. Uh, but, you know, again, you know, our philosophy is really quite simple. You know, we, we know what we're looking for and the people, uh, what type of talent they need to have for the position that we're asking a person to fulfill. And we want to know, first of all, too, um, and again, it's important to me, is that, you know, people really care about what they're doing. You know, we're a Black business organization. And you have to understand um, not just having the ability, but to be somewhat compassionate about the state of black business and why it's so important to America to strengthen black businesses. Uh, because, you know, small business is the economic engine uh, of this country, but black business, uh, quite frankly, is a very important part of it too. And our goal and objective is to make sure that those businesses are strong and healthy. 
So when you present your mission statement for those who haven't uh, been in or joined the association, when you're sharing your mission statement, what are you telling these corporations that aren't doing enough business with our community? And how are you giving them a methodology to enter and dialogue with uh, individuals? Well, let, let me first give you our mission statement. It says to economically empower and sustain the African-American community through entrepreneurship and capitalistic activity throughout the Black diaspora. And in a nutshell, our goal is to strengthen business. What we tell corporate America right now is that, you know, one, we have in the Black community, we have a lot of leadership, not actually coming from Black business leaders. Sometimes it's coming from religious organizations, social service organizations. And that's a little bit different than most other people. And so one of the things I try to tell CEOs is that it's really important to support, uh, you know, social service agency. They're, They're vital to our existence and we need them. I said, but if you're looking at what's really going to create sustainability, and we always use the analogy, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for the day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Uh, when you're growing businesses, you're teaching people how to fish. And they're sustainable. They create their own economic destiny. Uh, when you're doing more of a social service side, you simply supply them with a need that they have at that point in time. But when you're growing a business, you're really getting a real return on investment, uh, which is really important from our perspective. So uh, for us, Um, we're telling corporate America that, you know, 4 million being at the peak of slavery, there was over 4 million slaves working for free and it gave America a global competitive advantage and more white millionaires were created at that time than any time in history. And that, uh, we have some catching up to do. And, uh, and I, my, my last comment I tell CEOs is that, look, the, you know, when we take a look at the violence in the streets, which we got too much of. And too many young black brothers and sisters are dying in the streets. That's a reality. But I tell, I said, what happens in the streets, you know, that's one thing, you know, the killings happen in the street. But the problem is that it manifests itself in corporate boardrooms and policies in America that shut people out instead of giving people an opportunity. So if we were going to address the issue um, that plagues our communities, then we have to understand the social economic ramifications, or I say the economic social ramification, because if we have the economics, you can change a lot of the social. Love that. The relationship that you have with uh, entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship, what are three skill sets that you want to see all young entrepreneurs come to your association with? And then if they don't have it, how does your organization support those who need increased skill sets? Well, you know, one of the key skill sets to anything is that you got to find good, talented people, okay? And have, you know, when you talk to most entrepreneurs, you know, there's a couple of things that come ring true all the time. One, capital access, you know, and if you don't have no, if you have no money, you don't have no mission. And so, you know, I try to make sure that you know, most CEOs that we come in contact with for small businesses who are trying to get to the next level, they have the ability to do their product, but they don't always have the other things it take in order to be a successful business company in terms of, 
you know, just uh, skill sets as it relates to uh, understanding your your financial, your back office, uh, understanding not just your skill set that you have, but understanding the other components, uh, which means you got to build a strong banking relationship and you got to go to bankers when you don't need them. Don't go to a bank when you need them because you're, you're liable to get turned down. So we tell people, look, let's build a relationship with the bank and let me show you how to do that because capital access is important. But then you also got to have access. You need as many people on your team as possible. And that's why we tell them you need to join the organization, join the chamber, because there's some times that we can get to things that they can't get to. So, for example, if a person is trying to do business with uh, the energy companies like Exelon or ComEd or People's Gas or Nightcore, um, they want to do business, but they don't have a, a pathway to get there. Uh, we have direct relationship with, C- with every CEO uh, in those organizations. And we call them and uh, we put people in front. Now, we make sure those people are ready to be in front of them because some people aren't ready for prime time, depending on what level of business growth and development they're at. Uh, so we're careful in terms of, you know, one, um, you know, we ask the question, I'll go back to the question so I don't get off track, is that what type of skill sets do people need in order to be successful? It's people skills. It's uh, making sure that you understand the business process, quality control uh, in your system, put your processes in place, understand how technology drives business and behavior, and, and work on uh, making your process stronger and better and delivering your product and being exceptionally good at what you do as it relates to distinguish yourself among your competitors. And we always tell people it's uh, the comment is that it's not uh, what you know, it's uh, they say it's who you know. And I say, well, not really correct. It's who knows you because you can know um, President Biden and you can know President Obama. Uh, but if they don't know you, then, it, you know, you're not relevant in that space. But then it comes down to not even that is that what makes you worth knowing and what makes you worth knowing is what you do with the business that you have. When people think about this, they think about you. That's when you have arrived as a successful business person. So for you, if you were giving a speech at Chicago State and you were telling, what would the title of your speech for those individuals that are getting ready to enter the workforce, what would the title of the speech be? And what would the three things that you'd want them to be prepared to do as they enter the workforce? So if I was giving a speech to Chicago State University, young entrepreneurs who were just getting into the business, and I, I would, for the first thing I would say is just have a real clear vision, you know, ha- have a clear vision about who you are, what you do and what distinguish you from your competitors. Okay. And then once you've got the vision, you got to develop the strategy. Okay. The strategy, and you also have a lot of people around you uh, who have different skill sets than you have, because no one has it all. And so you want to make sure you surround yourself with people uh, who may have a more, a more of an accounting background, you know, or more of a legal background, but you got to have all those components. So you want to expose yourself to talented people with a different skill set than you. Now, you still need some of the people having some of your same skill sets also, because you're driven and entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is about taking risks and having a vision. Uh, but those are the things that I think is critical that you got to have 
the right skill sets. You got to have a clear vision and you got to have a good team. And you want to expand that team to meet other people that you have a relationship with that can mentor you, coach you, an event that you run into a snag. You're not out there by yourself because too often a lot of business suffer in silence because they have nobody else that they look up to. They have nobody else they're talking to. And I think that's one of the critical factors that you got to, you know, when you run it, when our chambers get started, you know, if you're out there and someone says, okay, I'm a chamber president or I'm a anything and you've only, you're the only person there and you don't have a lot of expertise and background. You haven't done it for 20 years. You need to talk to someone who has done it for 20 years that knows the problem, the pitfalls, so that you cannot make the same mistakes, the same thing we do with our kids. You know, we're kids are supposed to listen to us. Why? Because we've been around, we've made enough mistakes, we've bumped our head, and we can tell them about the pitfalls. Well, business is the same way. If you've never been, if you just started to run a business and you don't have people that have been in business, who understand business, and someone's in your area of expertise, then you are setting yourself up for failure because none of us knows all of it by ourselves. When you think about the current state of affairs for this country post-George Floyd, um, how would you describe the Black business economic movement, um, and why would you tell individuals to demand their portion of this economic pie in America? Well, if we look before uh, Floyd George, uh, George Floyd, uh, it's clear to us that and his death, uh, unfortunate death, uh, tragic death, is that he had an enormous impact upon how corporate America is looking at Black business and how America is looking at itself. And right now, if ever there's a time for Black business and for organizations to, to you know, begin to get support, it's now. There's a degree of sensitivity that exists now that had never existed before. Um, you could talk until you were blue in the face in some cases about the economic impact that Black businesses have. And it really kind of fell on deaf ears to some degree. And I think under the, Floyd, uh, under the uh, tragedy that happened uh, is that I think what ended up happening is that People saw that tragedy and it made, it made America take a look at itself, a true look at itself. And they began to say, you know, this is wrong ourselves. We can see it. It's a tragedy. And uh, it sparked a degree of conscience and insightfulness of America where corporate business are making it mandate on social equity. And everybody's talking about social equity right now. Now, whether they, they're talking about it because it's a nice buzzword uh, or whether they're truly committed to that you know, that you're going to learn that from each different corporation. But every corporation virtually is beginning to talk about social equity and the role that they need to play in terms of making things better for people of color. Excellent. And for those who don't know, as the president of, uh, as the, president of the Illinois Black Chamber, when you think about being able to present what you do to CEOs. Um, if you were speaking to a group of buyers, of individuals who haven't done business on a regular basis with them, and they were looking to you to guide them, 
What are the three things you would say to them, those who've not done any business with a Black-owned media company, not done business with a Black-owned firm? What are the three things that you should say or would suggest to them that they should do in this moment to kind of share and get some insight on how to do business with us? Well, I would say if if you are a, and we got a lot of people like that right now, uh, we're dealing with universities and, and colleges, uh, quite frankly, who have um, quite honestly done very little business uh, with people of color, especially African-Americans. They have a robust uh, attendance of, of black students who pay to go get educated there. But when you look on their basketball team and their football team, you can find there's a lot of black athletes. But when you take a look at their procurement and who they're contracting with, it's, it's just about invisible. So I always tell them, uh, I say, it sounds like we're good enough to entertain you, but we're not good enough to work for you. And so I, I force them to take a real honest look at why, it, why it's a bad strategy for them in terms of not doing business with people of color, because eventually those numbers come back to bite you. And African-Americans spend an enormous amount of money and dollars uh, uh, in this economy. And, you know, the last thing you need to do with social media, become an organization that your numbers reflect, even you're doing businesses around the, around the world, or you're doing business in a particular state that have a significant population of people of color, and you have no participation in the 21st century, that's not a good look. It's probably going to impact your business. It may become viral, and it may create a problem for you. So really, it's in your best interest um, uh, to really take a look at um, how Black consumers can uh, buy your product and why you need to make the investment in it at the same time. Uh, When you take a look at Black media, which is one of the big focus of our organization, um, when you had the pandemic, you know, we wrote a letter to the governor saying that we need to spend more money with black media. Uh, and the reason and the rationale for that was real simple is that when you take a look at uh, the people who are being most adversely impacted by the coronavirus, it was people of color and black people were at the top of the list. But when you were looking at the marketing and where they were spending their dollars and advertised with buy agencies, they were not with black people at all, and that was problematic. And and if you're not if you not under, if you don't understand the culture, a lot of times it's like you know if you were going to China, and you were trying to do business in China in this enormous market that they had, you would not just take an American without understanding the culture of the Chinese people because if you didn't do that, you're going to fail. So the same thing true. Uh, there are certain things that are inherently um, unique to us uh, as African-Americans that we're sensitive to. We understand the power of, of, of entertainers, the power of rappers and other people who influence Black communities more than other people do. And so, you know, uh, it, it's so vitally important that when we take about Black media across the board, we're not seeing Black media sitting at the table. And, and I'll give one other example of that. When they had Hurricane Katrina hit and there was the the mainstream media reported about the young man who was shooting at the helicopter, you know, it, it, it was just about embarrassing to every the, every African-American because here they were in a state of emergency and here these thugs shooting at the helicopter. 
And that's how they portrayed it. But when black media got the real story, the real story was that they were on the rooftops with the grandmothers and their kids and the helicopters were leaving and they were shooting in the air to get their attention. They wouldn't try to save their own lives. They were trying to save the lives of the grandparents and elderly and kids. That's a whole different narrative. And I think it's important that we control our own narrative. And that's why we ought to support, support Black media, Black filmmaking. Those things are said. This is our story. And we need to make sure our story get told. The Tulsa story is getting told now for the first time, in, you know, in a real sense. But, you know, all of us knew about Tulsa. But America is now beginning to know about Tulsa at the same time. So I don't think, you know, our images and how we see ourselves, how Black media interacts with, it's so vital to our renaissance and our moving forward and us and our getting and us getting um, to a higher height in terms of economic position here in America. I, I, that is clearly a, uh, an excellent example, excellent insight. Uh, I'm going to follow that same question with the idea of you now have individuals making calls to you. They have the meeting. They say they want to do business with us the black media, black business, what number should they have as a do business no matter what? So instead of having zero, so if I've never done business with Pepsi, if you've never done business with a black media company um, that is black owned, that you have a relationship and are investing in, um, what number and percentage of the corporate budget would you like to go from zero to which number? 20, 20%. Right. 20% would be the number. And, and the reason that 20% is the number because African-Americans represent about 13% of the total population, 13 to 14% uh, based upon the census data, uh, which sometimes can be a little bit off, but nonetheless, that's what it says. Uh, is that, uh, and, and again, if we, if we think about the fact that we have not uh, afforded Black businesses and Black people a real seat at the table, then there is a degree of obligation that America owes Black people. And, and, and I think that 20%, uh, if corporate America just did 20% of their spend with African Americans, the wealth gap the impact on black businesses would be significant. They wouldn't have to ask for reparations or anything else. That would be the game changer. So if you're a, a Caucasian company uh, who, uh, for whatever reason it may be, has never done business with a person of color, especially an African-American, then I would encourage you to take the time to, and some of them say, well, we can't find them. We don't know them. We, you know, and, and some may be true because they don't run in those circles. They don't really have uh, a people of color around them very often, even though America is changing daily. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that you have to go and find talented people and it ain't difficult. So you need to be working with organizations like ourselves and others who know the talented business because, you know, every business, and, and I have to be quite honest, is that every business is not ready for prime time. There's some businesses who will have to grow to help build capacity and take them to the next level. And there are some businesses, quite frankly, that, uh, you know, that they're just they're ready for prime time and they just need access to an opportunity 
and we can bring the best of the best who don't need money, who don't need a handout, who just need an opportunity to do business and they can add value. They can, um, you know, deliver on time, quality service and everything else you want. And I think that's something that uh, if we're going to have this more perfect union, you know, this ideal of a more perfect union, that's an ideal in and of itself. And the only way it's going to be more perfect is that as Americans, patriotic America, challenge America to be its best and being its best means being inclusive. We were intentionally left out, created a habit of being left out, created a culture of exclusion. The only way to change that is to be intentionally included, a habit of inclusion, and then you'll have a culture of inclusion. Real simple. So, so the budget was always the question. How many are in the budget? We've said 20%. For those individuals that are at zero, we know that you didn't call us last year. You didn't call the Black Chamber last year. You didn't meet with the Black Chamber last year. What are we saying to us as a community of shareholders? And I always say that we're receipt shareholders. Even if we're not buying your stock, we are buying your product on a regular basis. You see the zip code. You see the store that's scanned. You know it. If you were speaking to CEOs in America now, with the Department of Commerce, Secretary of Commerce, and you had that opportunity, what would you tell him that he could do in a stroke of a pen to change the paperwork that Black businesses have to deal with, to deal with the paperwork that many are besieged with to help them move forward? Well, if if I had, you know, if if we were talking to the Secretary of Commerce uh, and the far-reaching power that they have in terms of commerce and what could they do today that would, at a stroke of a pen, could make a profound impact upon, only thing they really got to do, honestly, if a stroke of a pen, is make it mandated. And I'll give a quick example. When when the pandemic hit, um, there was emergency, everything went into emergency state. They rid themselves of the affirmative action goals. And so when emergency happened, you don't have to abide by any of the goals of the federal government. You can just do business without putting minority participation in it. With a stroke of a pen, they did that because there was a, an emergency need. With a stroke of a pen, they can say, guess what? This is mandated that Black businesses will get this share a business and that we will be intentional as a goal to improve the the uh, the numbers of black participation based upon the numbers and and, and the numbers will tell the truth because you know uh, like you said numbers don't lie now we do say that that liars do figure but numbers don't lie when you have the real numbers and the real numbers show that you know when it comes to collecting taxes black people don't get a discount on taxes that they pay and uh, but yet it seems to be difficult when it comes to procurement and opportunities it seems to be very difficult with paperwork jumping through hoops and all the things they put in our way that makes it just about impossible if not very difficult uh, to do business with the federal government so I think the federal government needs to have a task force to take a look at unnecessary paperwork that's in company we, we need to make sure that front companies don't get through and so we got to make sure there's some checks and balances because we know that people will use black people, use people of color 
and they will use their name, use their face, and then create a business. And that black business owner won't own that business, won't control it, and won't have anything to do with it. So we have to make sure there is some paperwork to validate that the business that you're dealing with is a personal club. But once we've done that, then we need to make a, close, a careful look at what are the policies and what are the things that we have in here that we simply don't need, that's antiquated, that's been uh, there for 20 years and they haven't made any changes on it. Uh, so it, it's important if, if we do that and we build the right task force, and I would encourage President Biden to say, look, let's let's take a look at what are the barriers that are stopping Black businesses from getting uh, to the table at a much more successful rate. Let's design a task force to take a look at it and let's come back with the recommendations on the things that we can remove that make it easier, but doesn't destroy the quality, the integrity of the of the office or the opportunity uh, for them to do business. And then let's make put those recommendations on the table and have the president follow up on it. You know, that would be something I would think we could do. Super. I'm glad you've uh, written that roadmap when we share this video with the Secretary of uh, Commerce, we'll be sure, and the Secretary of Labor. Um, I really want to thank you for giving those insightful uh, rationale for individuals. The last thing I, I want to speak to is to our own business and community. Many of us don't know that we need to ask for the business. We need to ask for the business. We need to demand the business and we need to document our demands for the business so they can't say we didn't ask. Why, for those who don't know and are Black and there are those some that don't know, why should we understand that we deserve and are truly uh, due our amount of business from corporate and government um, commerce and budgets? Two things, you know, we give an example, we passed a capital budget and a capital budget helped build infrastructure, okay? And they have to fund that. So it's one thing to pass it, it's another thing to fund it. Now, in order to fund that, they needed to do what? They had to do a gas tax, which meant that everyone in Illinois pays 23 cents more for gas. Now, at the gas pump, I don't think they say Black people, since you don't participate in the economy and infrastructure and road transportation at any significant level, you only have to pay three cents. No, you pay 23 cents like everybody else. So, you know, it says as American as apple pie that you have a right to participate where your dollars help create the opportunity. And if you go back and take a look at history, America would never be America uh, itself today if it hadn't been for four million slaves working for free. It gave them a, a global competitive advantage. And when that ended, that money didn't disappear and go into thin air. It went into generational wealth that was created. And so Black people need to understand it's your money. And when you think about, when you put a perspective on, and I tell people all the time, it's like when I'm meeting with Secretary of Transportation and key people, you know, I'm not asking them to do me a favor. Like some people say, well, you know, we want you to. No, it's my money. And, and, and because I can see it as my money, I have a whole different perspective. You know, if you're sitting at home watching TV and you got your purse and your wife is next to you and you got your wallet, someone walks in your house uh, while you're watching the, good, the, the show and take your wallet, you'll just yawn and say, well, you know, this goes, this goes, there goes my money. 
No, you'll be up in arms. You know, you're fighting. You're trying to protect that wealth. Well, we got to understand that we have to protect our wealth because, you know, with the wealth comes the the choices. No money. Um, when you got no money, uh, you got no respect, and and you got and you got no choices. So, we I, I would say to every African American, have the attitude that this is your money also, and you've been contributing to your money and contributing to this economy at a significant level and gotten a poor return on investment, if anything. And so when you take that look and you have an honest conversation with yourself, you're not walking into the meeting asking someone to do you a favor. You walk into the meeting asking for someone to give you you back some of the things that you've been investing in for the beginning of this country. And America, Black Black America deserves better. It's only going to get better when we demand it, when we understand that it's our right to participate in this economy. We help build it, and we all have a right to participate in it. And that's real simple. And you ought to be unapologetic about that. You know, uh, and I tell people all the time, I walk into meetings, and they want to talk about white women and everybody else. I said, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about Black business. Uh, and the state of black business. And I want to know what we're going to do to improve the state of black business. Because we're at the, like Dr. King says, of the good things in life, the black man and black woman has a small portion. Of the bad things in life, they have a double portion. It is up to us to make the future generation stronger and better. And we have an obligation to remove the barriers of economic that plague black communities and drive crime and creates all the negative things. So uh, we ought to be compelled uh, to ask for what we deserve and ought to be unapologetic to ask for it. Cool. Well, thank you, um, Mr. Ivory. Um, Great CEO to CEO, president conversation. Uh, I hope for all of you who are out there that you do join a black uh, chamber somewhere. If you're in Illinois, obviously we know uh, you can join the Illinois Chamber. But I do want to thank you all um, for listening. Um, Mr. Ivory, I want to thank you for your commitment and service to our community and insightful discussion on why and how we can move our community and country forward. I'm Munson Steed and continue to watch CEO to CEO. Mr. Munson Steed, thank you very much. Thank you.